Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come today, Lord, we pray that you would pour out your Spirit upon this place. Pour out your Spirit into our hearts and into our minds. And open our eyes to see, O oh Lord, your glory and your grace more clearly. Teach us faith and obedience. And Lord, may we give honor and glory to your name. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Matthew. Today we're looking at Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. We're looking at verses 1 through 14 this morning. Matthew 22 verses 1 through 14. Now we've been looking at the kingdom parables and uh, the last couple of weeks we've had our eye on three or two prior and today's the third. Uh, but three kingdom parables that have to do with kingdom authority. Uh, namely the authority of Jesus, the Messiah, the King of God's kingdom. And it looks to how one responds to Jesus' authority. How one responds to Jesus' authority, his kingdom authority, we've seen determines that person's eternal destiny. It determines that person's eternal destiny. The first parable, the parable of the two sons, we saw that endless challenge to Jesus' Jesus's authority leads to exclusion from God's kingdom, while repentance and submission leads to eternal inclusion. And then the second parable, the parable of the tenants, we saw that those who are allegiant to Christ Jesus will inherit God's kingdom, but those who rebel are doomed to judgment. And today we come to the final parable on these on the authority of Jesus. And we come to the parable of the wedding feast. The parable of the wedding feast. And the parable of the wedding feast has to do with how one responds to the authority of the kingdom's call. The authority of the kingdom's call. So let's look at that parable, and if you found your place there, stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord, and again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Again he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, 
but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came, came in, he, took, he looked at the guest. He saw there a man who had no wedding garments. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendant, Bind him hand and foot, and cast him into the outer darkness. And that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. Well, as we look at this passage today, we see the reason for the passage there in that last line. There on uh, verse 14, for or because many are called, but few are chosen. Jesus is trying to make a point from this parable that ties in with that particular statement. Many are called, but few are chosen. That word chosen there is the Greek word, eklektos, eklektos. It's a word from which we get the word election or elect. Indeed, this passage is about the doctrine of election. The doctrine of election. Uh, the doctrine of election teaches us throughout Scripture that God, He elects those who will be His own. We see this in the Old Testament. If you want to turn with me there, leave your finger there in Matthew, but turn over to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 7, Deuteronomy chapter 7. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, God is talking to the people of Israel. This is after the, they, he brought them out of Egypt in the Exodus, and he is getting ready to bring them into the promised land, into Israel. And in Deuteronomy chapter 7, starting in verse 6, he says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt." So God here says that he chose Israel. He elected them out of all the people on the face of the earth. And it wasn't because they were a mighty people. It wasn't because they were more holy than anyone else. But God set his love upon them and he chose them out of all the peoples to bring them out of slavery and into the land of promise. 
We also see it in the New Testament. If you, have your, if you want to turn there to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. I want you to see this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. It's the same word there, electos, election. God chose us, talking to the church. He chose us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the earth. So before God ever created anything, he elected, he chose a people for himself that would be his people for all of eternity. And so today, as we come to this passage, this passage has to do with election. God's choosing a people for himself. And this passage answers the question, how may you know that you are among God's elect? How may you know you are among God's elect? How may you know that you are chosen of God? And the way you know is by your response to the call of the gospel. It's important that we ask this question. It's important that we ask that and to uh, investigate our own hearts and our own lives to know whether we are among the elect. In fact, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, Peter there says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent. Be diligent to confirm your calling an election. Make sure that you know that you know you are among the chosen of God. And through this parable, Jesus gives us some insight by showing us who the elect are not. Who the elect are not. And thereby revealing to us whom the elect, who the elect are in Christ Jesus. So in this text today, we're going to see this. God's elect are those who respond to the gospel call with faith and obedience. God's elect are those who respond to the gospel call with faith and obedience. As we ask that question then, who is among God's elect? Jesus' parable shows us two categories of people who are not, who are definitely not among God's elect. So we're going to start with those two categories. And the first one is this, God's elect are not the unconcerned rejectors of the gospel. God's elect are not the unconcerned rejectors of the gospel. As we consider this parable, we must, we must remember that Jesus is, is preaching to uh, a crowd there in the temple. And you remember a few weeks ago that we talked about the religious leaders came to him and questioned his authority. 
They question his authority, and Jesus has been talking to them through parables. Because of your rejection, because of your rejection of my authority, let me tell you these parables. And this is one of those parables, the final parables in this series of parables, that Jesus is speaking directly to, especially to, those religious leaders who are there questioning his authority. And notice what the parable says. Jesus says to them, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servant to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. Now, in Jesus' time, in that day and time, uh, the, it was common for especially kings and people of royalty to throw these big extravagant weddings and they would first go out and send out an invitation, the first invitation, and telling the people, hey, on this day, we're going to have a wedding feast. My son is getting married, and we're going to have a feast to celebrate his wedding. Now they didn't have clocks and all that sort of thing, so you, you didn't just respond to the first invitation. The first invitation was to make you aware, but then once the king got everything ready, everything was prepared, then he would send out his servants a second time and telling the people who were invited, it's time for the feast. It is time for the feast. Come and enjoy the feast. And that's what we see here. This king is sending out his servants the second time out to the people whom he has invited. And he is calling them, come, come to this wedding feast. But how do those who are invited respond? But they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Everything is perfect. Come, enjoy the feast. But they paid no attention and went off one to his farm and another to his business. In other words, they had too, much, too many other things going. Well, why should they be concerned about the wedding feast? There's business to do on the farm. There's business to do at work. Why should we care about a wedding feast? We don't have time for this. We've got our own lives to, to pay attention to, our own lives to worry with. They reject the king's offer. And then he goes on to say, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Of course, we've seen this kind of language already in these, the past two parables. And Jesus is pointing to the fact that these leaders before him, these religious leaders, just like the religious leaders before them, when God sent his prophets with the gospel message, the people rejected the gospel. They had too many other things to do. Too many other things in life to worry with, to worry about the king's message, to worry about his call to them. And so they went off on their own business. They went off and took care of their own lives. I don't need you, king. I got my own things to worry with. And others, they took his servants, the prophets, 
they beat them. And they martyred them. Because the message they had, the invitation that was extended, was not the invitation that they were looking for. And they rejected the king and his invitation. You see, these religious leaders, they thought they were among God's elect. They thought they were certainly chosen by God. Why? Because they were the children of Abraham. They were children of Abraham. They had descended from Abraham. How could they not be among God's elect? And they were highly religious. Oh, they were highly religious. I mean, they were there at the temple every day working. Giving prayers like the Pharisee that Jesus talks about. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like these other sinners. I fast twice a day, twice a week. I do this, I do that. Thank you that I'm not like all these other sinners. See, they were highly religious. How could we not be among God's elect, His chosen people? But when the Messiah came, when the Messiah brought the message of redemption, when he says, here I am, here I am, I am the bread of life, I am the bread of life, I am God's Messiah. It wasn't the message they wanted to hear. And they rejected the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They thought they were chosen. They thought they were elect. But they failed to heed John's warning. John the Baptist's warning. Matthew chapter 3 verses 9 and 10 says, And do not presume, saying to those leaders, this is John the Baptist speaking. And do not presume to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. See, dear friends, it doesn't matter how religious you are. It doesn't matter what your grandpa did for this church or that church. It doesn't matter how many church roles your name is upon. What matters is how you respond to the message of the gospel. How you respond to Jesus Christ, the King of God's kingdom. These people had many other things to do with life. They couldn't give Jesus their time. They didn't want to believe in Jesus because that meant they had to do something else that they weren't willing to do. They weren't going to follow Jesus because that meant they were wrong. And they weren't there going to, meant, uh, to admit that. They weren't going to follow Jesus because the farm had things that needed to be taken care of. And obedience to Jesus means that you got to leave things behind. you got to leave that old life behind. And they didn't want to leave that old life behind, but they wanted to cling to it. So they were unconcerned rejectors of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Certainly today there are some in this place
Oh, you're highly religious. You may have been a, church, a member of this church or another church for decades. But you've never surrendered your life to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Your religion will get you nowhere. But only surrender to Jesus. Surrender to Christ, the King of God's kingdom. Oh, these men thought they were among God's elect, but they rejected God's Messiah. And what happens to these people who reject God's kingdom message, the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ? Look there in verse 7. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Now this, too, is a prophecy. Because in 70 A.D., because of Israel's rejection of Jesus Christ, because of their sin of sending him to Calvary's cross, God sent the Roman Empire in on Jerusalem, and Jerusalem uh, and and the Roman Empire crushed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, destroyed the walls. But that is just a glimpse of the judgment awaiting those unconcerned rejectors of the kingdom message. Dear friend, if you are, if you are an unconcerned rejector, you've got too much going on in life to worry about following Jesus. Your end is eternal destruction. Just like this king sent his soldiers out to destroy those who were unconcerned and rejected the kingdom message, God will send his angels, his army, to destroy all of those who were too busy, who were unconcerned, follow Jesus Christ. The end for the unconcerned rejecter is eternal judgment and a devil's hell. Though God's elect are not the unconcerned rejectors of the gospel call. Second, God's elect are not the hypocritical responders of the gospel call. They are not the hypocritical responders of the gospel call. Continuing on with the text, then he said to, the, to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and, and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But, but, when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how do you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Now in times like this, especially with a royal wedding such as this one, it was required to wear the best of the best. In fact, it was quite common for, for kings to, 
to distribute clothing, to give clothing to those guests who came into the wedding feast. If his son was getting married, he would clothe them in royal garments and wedding garments that were wonderful and pure, prepared for that wedding feast. And here this king, he comes in, and all these people have been invited from the highways and the byways. They have just been brought in. So surely in this instant, especially being such short notice for those poor travelers who were just out there on the highway, as the king invites them in, surely he gave them garments to wear, wedding garments to, to clothe themselves in. And here comes the king. And as he's looking he sees one who is not clothed in garments. Now, notice there, the others didn't notice it. They didn't notice that this man wasn't in, in wedding garments. It wasn't until the king comes in that he is noticed for not wearing his garments. Oh, how true it is that in, in a body of believers, even we can often tell who's got on pure wedding garments. And here's one who has come into the wedding feast, but he does not have on the proper garments. And when the king comes to him, where's your garments? Why don't you have your garments on? He was speechless. Therefore the king calls his servants in, cast him out, bind him hand and foot, and cast him out into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh dear friend, this is a picture of the hypocritical responder. The hypocritical responder. You see, this is one who looks at the kingdom and says, yes, I want the benefits of that. I want the benefits of the kingdom, just like this guest. I want to, the benefits of this wedding feast. I want to go in and eat at the king's table. I want to eat the fatted calf. I want to enjoy the celebration of this wedding feast. But I don't want to put on the royal garments. I don't want to change anything. I don't want to change anything about my life. I want to be the like I am. I want to be who I am. That's all I want to be. I don't want to change a thing. I don't want to do anything else. I don't want to put on any garments. I just want the benefits of the kingdom. How many people look at the church and think about heaven or hell? Well, I certainly want heaven. I definitely don't want to go to hell. That's a miserable place. I want to go to heaven. I want all the benefits of God's kingdom, but I really don't want to change anything in my life. I don't want to put on any royal garments. He's a hypocrite. She's a hypocrite. He wants the benefits. He wants the benefits. And they'll tout it. I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm a Christian. I belong to this church. I belong to that church. But you look at their life. Has anything changed? Has anything changed? Is anything different? Are they still living the same life they did before? Or is something new 
and change in their life. If nothing has changed, they've never put on the wedding garment. But dear friend, I want you to know this, that God has provided the garment. God has provided the garment. Indeed, the garment is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 13, verse 14, Paul says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. These wedding guests had no garments of their own, but the king gave them garments. Dear friend, God is not asking you to provide your own garments of righteousness. If he did, you would be out of luck. Because all of our garments are like filthy rags before God. But God has provided the royal garment. He has provided his son, Jesus Christ. If we trust in Jesus and we surrender to Jesus, then God clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. And he changes us. He transforms us. We're not the same like we used to be. Paul says, put on Christ. Make no provisions for the flesh. Turn away from that life of sin and live for Jesus. And that's the whole point that Jesus has been trying to, to pound in through all of these three parables. If you don't respond in faith and obedience, you are not a child of God. Oh, you may be a member of the church. You may be a, a, a happy hypocrite. But you're not a child of God. I wonder why Jesus told this, why he added this to the parable. Could it be because he had one such man, a hypocritical responder in his midst, even Judas Iscariot? Oh, Judas, he loved the benefits of the kingdom he loved the benefits of the kingdom. He, he, in fact, was the treasurer of the disciples. He carried the, the purse for the disciples. And we're told there in John's gospel that when Mary Magdalene came in one time, Mary Magdalene came in and she, she broke a, a, a flask of perfume on the feet of Jesus. And, and he got outraged at this. Why did, we, why did you not sell this perfume? We could have, could have you know, paid things and gave to the poor with this how much could we have given for the poor and the scripture there tells us John tells us that it wasn't because he was concerned about the poor it was his concern that he dipped his hand into the money bag see he liked the benefits of the kingdom he liked the benefits of hanging out with Jesus he liked that people gave them things he liked that that people celebrated Jesus wherever he came he liked to see all the miracles that Jesus did but he never changed a thing he never put on Christ Jesus his Lord he never put on a new garment nothing ever changed in his life he was a child of his father the devil Dear friend, I'm afraid that in the church there are some children of the devil who want to hold on to the benefits. They want the benefits of the kingdom. But they never want to surrender their lives to Christ. 
They never want to put on Jesus. And hypocritical responders have no part in the kingdom of God. Instead, they will be judged for their rejection of his kingdom. Then the king said to his attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him in the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So God's elect are not unconcerned rejectors and God's elect are not the hypocritical responders. So who then is among God's elect? God's elect are those who respond to the gospel call with faith and obedience. They are the ones who respond to the gospel call with faith and obedience. Notice here, he says, and the servants went out, in verse 10, the servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found. They went out of the city. They went out of Jerusalem. They went out of the city of God, and they went out to the highways and the byways, and they gathered down all whom they found, both good and bad. Now we need to notice here that just because they gathered the bad and the good doesn't mean they all stayed bad. In fact, what we see here as they gathered both the good and bad, these good and the bad, they're not worthy because... uh, They're not brought in because they are worthy. But they are brought in because God makes them worthy. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolater, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But watch this. And such were some of you. And such were some of you, but you were washed You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You see, in reality, we're all bad. There's no good apple among us. When we compare ourselves to the right person of comparison when we compare ourselves to Jesus Christ we are all bad we are miserable wretches but God makes us holy he sanctifies us he justifies us through the blood of Jesus Christ Matthew the tax collector was a swindler sitting at his tax booth swindling from the people he grew up with and Jesus come by and said Matthew come follow me and Matthew left his life left his livelihood left his life of sin and followed Jesus 
the prostitute looking up to Jesus, knowing that she had no life outside of her prostitution, no hope of making a living outside of her prostitution. Jesus says, come follow me. She leaves her livelihood. She leaves life as she knew it. And she goes and she follows Jesus. Matthew and the prostitute are among God's elect because they responded in faith and obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want to know if you're among the elect? You want to know that you know that you know? Repent and follow Jesus. Turn away from your life of sin. Turn away from your life of doing everything for yourself, by yourself, and turn to Jesus. Follow Christ. And He certainly will save you. Oh, dear friend, your background is unimportant. Your background is unimportant. I don't care what you've done in the past. Hear me, dear friend. I don't care what you have done in the past. Whether you were the lowliest of sinners or you thought yourself the greatest of the saints, no matter what your background holds, turn away from following your own path and turn to Jesus. Follow Jesus in faith and obedience and you can be assured that you are numbered among the elect of God. Oh, dear friend, many are called, but few, few are chosen. The gospel goes out broadly. It goes out to the world. But few are chosen. Only those who respond in faith and obedience. Those are the chosen of God. Are you following Jesus? Dear friend, make your calling and election sure today. Jesus is calling, come follow me. Come follow me. Come follow me. Today is the day of choice. Continue your own way. Living life on your own terms. Or turn and follow Jesus. Know that you are on Jesus. Put on Christ today. Put on Christ. It's as easy as putting on that winter coat. Put Him on in faith. Trust in Him and live for Him. God's elect are those who respond to the gospel call with faith and obedience. Dear friend, how will you respond today? Will you trust in Jesus? Will you turn away from your life of doing it all your way and turn to Him and live for Him today? If you trust Him, if you follow Him, you can be assured of your place in His kingdom. 
Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we certainly thank you for this doctrine of election, Lord. For, Lord, if you had not chosen to love a people for yourself, then we would forever be lost. But, Lord, you determined to set your love upon a people. To separate them out for your own glory. Thank you, Lord God. Now, Lord, today there are those who are unsure. And, Lord, there are those here today who are sure. Many are sure that they're going the wrong way. But Lord, I pray that you brought them here for that purpose, to hear the kingdom message, to hear Jesus calling. Lord, let their hearts respond in obedience today to receive his sacrifice on their account and trust in him and give their lives to him today. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.